You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. So then I was kind of on a roll. So a lot of 60s stuff. And I keep coming back to 60s stuff all the time as some kind of ideal that uh, for what we are doing, you know, unless we really flirt with it that we do on some songs that where when you realize that the kind of tremolo riffing of death and black metal and surf rock that that the wall between them is paper thin in a way we have played around with that a, a couple of times but otherwise it's not blatantly 60s inspired but the whole ideal so oh musicians in a room playing music together and make it sound like that and and that whole thing uh comes a lot from 60s ideals for me so that sticks around Hey, what's up, everyone? Matt here from Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. I hope that you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. And if you are ever in Montreal, trust me when I say this, if you are looking for a killer show to go to, Heavy Montreal will have you covered. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves extreme music and loves craft beer, well, you should definitely let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You could tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while enjoying craft beers. If you would encourage one of your metalhead, beer-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today in the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Johannes Ekestrom of Avatar. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 441. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Johannes Ekestrom of Avatar. Uh, Johannes, I'm very, very stoked to be with you. Uh, give everyone a little bit of context. Uh, we are very early in January. I have not recorded an interview since on Zoom, like sitting in this location in my house since mid-November. Uh, it's, it's a happy return. I tend to switch my brain off in the holidays and try to just be myself and not anything else. And uh, I was like amping myself up to get back into this seat and back into this hat. And uh, you're a perfect, perfect guest to hang out with because uh, you also conduct interviews and you're a killer vocalist and you're a great guy. And uh, all that just to say, how you doing? Oh, you. But thank you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am in a, for the second time, I'm in this rehearse space that I'm sharing with some friends. We recently moved in here. Well, they did. I was on tour. And essentially it's, I'm surrounded by cool amps and cool drums and stuff, but I'm really just using a table and a laptop and a microphone and just need a place where I don't bother people when I scream and shout. But it feels like I'm in, I'm a mus more of a musician because I'm surrounded <laughs> by their gear. It's all of their equipment that makes you feel more credible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's uh, when Avatar puts up amps in a rehearse room which they like to do when we get around to it but you know on tour it's all these i don't even remember what we use nowadays i guess it's kempers kempers or quad cortex is the all the rage right One now of, yeah yeah i guess it's kempers um 
I really should know. No, it's totally campers. Um, and then it's a treat to put an amp up. But these guys have all the amps up, you know, so it's... Uh, Old school. It is very quiet on stage nowadays, which most, most people don't understand there. And you're like, okay, cool. Uh, you're so lucky you get to see all these shows side stage and you hear nothing. <laughs> yeah, we really try to remember for festivals and stuff to put a monitor side mm. stage if someone will show up. <laughs> it's just drums and us. That's all they hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that something um, I used to, being a vocalist, as my, you mentioned that you yeah. have a space now that you can go and scream and make noises without people noticing. Now, now I'm used to have that qualm, let's call it, that problem, that that worry that I would bother my neighbors, and I just got over it and just started doing it in my house. And I, before the tour, we hadn't toured in a long time before we went out in September, and I had to work and get my voice back into shape, which is something that singers have to do. If not, we forget somehow how to be extreme vocalists and yeah. uh i was like leaving and i crossed my neighbors i live in a condo and i was like i hope you don't mind like <laughs> and they're like oh no we don't even hear you so from then on i'm i'm, I'm don't even go to a jam space anymore just do it in my bedroom run around the house within like in your monitors and just have a good time yeah well in my case it's my wife works from home no, a there lot you as go. well <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how it started it was really during yeah, once she started to work, in, work on her PhD, mm. which happened to coincide with COVID happening and everything shutting down. So the rules changed for everyone. Uh, so suddenly we were both working more from home. And one of us want, needed to sit very quietly and read a lot of literature <laughs> and type and think and, uh, and be in meetings and uh, conferences online. The, all the things you don't want to... In, in the background of... <laughs> So, no, it's that is what started it, and then but then I also I think in the world of you know trying to be some kind of functioning adult, I I think I struggle nowadays more with the thing that is always something to do at home. Oh yeah, there's always an excuse to not practice something. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and this is and and I and I have. Less, I have more discipline than ever before in my life, probably. Uh, so it's not so much to, you know, find excuses in doing other things. Because usually I grew up, I got, if I'm good or bad at music, that somebody else can be the judge of that. But whatever I am, I became that by doing this instead of what I was supposed to do. You know, oh, so this so was my so distraction. For, for you know, years, so. the music was the distraction. Exactly. <laughs> And now it's just that sense of responsibility in terms of, oh, yeah, I, wish I should vacuum. Oh, yeah, I need to. Yeah, oh, there's, oh, yeah, these IKEA boxes have been here for a while, haven't they? And, and so on and so on and so on. So to have a dedicated physical space that then becomes your, you know, the mental space, it, it helps. It's true. And I, I'm actually wearing her shirt right now. A.A. Williams mentioned sort of the same thing that. She once she set up a studio and started recording outside of her house is when she became more focused and concentrated on that mental space of creating and practicing and being in that mind frame. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I believe in that a lot. Vox and Hops up and hanging with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing craft beers. Uh, what, what are you going to be drinking on your side today? And then I'll present what I'm going to be drinking. Well, I haven't done alcohol in uh, almost five years. Oh. I stood drink beer but i drink and so i become quite of an alcohol-free beer connoisseur 
as you do because it was it, it wasn't taste wasn't the issue. Um, no, exactly. So and and still malt as a source of flavor and hops as a source of flavor in all shapes and forms um, still makes sense to me. So the the chase go the hunt always goes on. Um, well, today it's even worse than that, though. I'm, I'm drinking water. Well, it's it's the primary ingredient that goes into a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's one it's one fourth of a beer here. We just mean the vox the, the vox hops and the alcohol to really make it pop. But twenty five percent of a beer right here. Well, congrats on five years. That's that's a big accomplishment. Nah, it was easy. <laughs> that's good. That it's not always easy. On my side, I'm drinking something special that I made last year. It's one of the last ones that came out. Oh, nice. Uh, this is the Metal Injection Presents Vox and Hops Pit Culture, where I teamed up with 30 breweries, I think it was, across the globe to release uh, beers about what happens in mosh pits, being a front man that tours around the globe. I always get asked that question, what's your favorite place to play? What is it like? And literally... Whether it's in Japan, albeit in Japan they're a bit quieter, or in South America, or in Europe, or in Canada, mosh pits are all the same. So I wanted mm -hmm. to showcase that with different names of the beers being different things that happen in a mosh pit. This one being called The Breakdown. I, they took some creative mm -hmm. liberties. This is a Lira Nizutrais, a, a brewery from here in Quebec, uh, Canada, not Quebec, the city. They're actually in Lévis, which is across the river from Quebec City. And it's uh, a West Coast IPA, 6.2%. And uh, it's probably the last one I'm going to drink from the Pit Culture series on the podcast, because that project is now wrapping up. Take me uh, take me to, if you, if you don't mind, opening up about the five years and, and what, what slowed you down, because it wasn't the taste, the problem you were mentioning. No, uh I guess it was just time. Um, I believe I have had more beer than most, and I gathered enough good stories. You know, those kind of that, in a year we're going to laugh at this. Yes. So now we are. Yes. Um, and it really started to kind of wane off anyway. Um, I first stopped drinking on the road. I keep reading about the people that would, you know, lose their minds while touring and then trying to be good boys and girls while at home and for me that never made sense for me it was the other way around like but all my friends or most of my friends are at home you know am i gonna whisk with dad or shots in a bar with a stranger you know like uh yeah. so i stopped while on the road first and then my wife like I saw a YouTube clip of you. You're much better now. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> it works. <laughs> you were better vocally or better as a human? Yeah. Now better vocally. I, human, yeah. Well, in some ways, I'm sure. And then in some ways, uh, <laughs> you're an awesome, fun, adventurous human. I, I haven't illegally gotten up on roofs as much in the last five years as I had in the past, you know? Yes. That's also maybe also something to do with age, you know, what age you're in, what life you live, and not just what you consume, of course. We don't bounce as, as, as well as we used to. Yeah, exactly. In that sense, I used to be a fantastic human being in terms of adventure. <laughs> um, now I just try to fill it with something else, and which, which works, it's good, and I enjoy it. But I started to wane it off, really. So it wasn't this... There was no rock bottom. I, I still had a home. You yeah. know, I took care of myself. It was just this evolution until until where I, something that makes sense for me. That's great. And that's great. And it is true that 
alcohol and performing live is horrible together. Even if you're good the whole day, it, it's the consequences of the night before that can still have mm. a huge impact on a performance. Yeah. And just, I don't know. Um, I feel if you're completely, it, it feels like if, in order for it to work for me on the road with drinking, at least at the time, it seemed like the worst thing is to like do it once and then really feel how bad it feels afterwards and yes. stuff. So you need to give in that little constant buzz if you're going to indulge deeply. You have to stay in the deep, <laughs> which is a terrible idea. But we totally. were uh, like, it's this, our first U.S. tour. And it took us a while to get to the point of touring U.S., but now now it's been a decade of good times. But the first time we really, it was a lot of fun. And it was a 42-day tour. Don't remember how many shows, but um, yeah, we were kind of out of it for 39 days out of 42. But it, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember it all. Uh, but that's another thing that I always have like a, with the podcast and with my beer identity in the world. It's always a discussion that I have before I leave for a tour is why am I there? It's not for any of that. It's for the performance it's, and it's for the fans as for the people that are coming to the show and they deserve the best version of us. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, it's also life, you know, mm. that, yeah, sure. That's why you're there. That's the job. That's the gig. And that's hopefully your first love, you know, while doing it. But at the same time, you're also, if you're going to spend a lot of time away from home, we need to find all these ways, I think, to make that, you know, our second home and to not have a life being put on hold just because we're out there. That's true. Um, and that goes from balancing out what kind of lifestyle, what life we want to live, how we want to enjoy ourselves, not just how we want to perform. And um, also, you know, how we deal with home life while living, you know, going off to Neverland. So there's some kind of, I believe there's some kind of balance to be had with it as well where absolutely it's all about the shows. And I mean, we spend a headline show with Avatar. Uh, well, I have a two-hour set. Then I do a bunch of stuff, which gives the other guys a break. So they play their lace and play one hour 45, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, yes, I am, um, as a frontman, I am a victim. No, but <laughs> then... Then there's a workout routine on that that is for the sake of shows and for the shows the next day and the next week. Nice. Really. This is like a physical workout or just a vocal workout? Yeah, a physical workout. Like That's awesome. heavy cardios and and just we <laughs> we have now, we have this one of our road cases it's just full of, uh, you know, uh, dumbbells and yoga nice. mats and That's a little sick. ab wheel and uh, one of those one of those pull-up bars that you can fit in a door frame yeah. that door on a door post that it never fits. I just given up <laughs> on that one. <laughs> but also when you see, you know, local crew, uh, carry that up some narrow stairs and then you don't use it. And like, <laughs> no, no, I, well, we use it, we use it, but just, I don't want them to know what's in there. <laughs> like, oh, this weighs a lot. What is in it? Weights. Yeah, yeah. It, feel, yeah. it feels, yeah. I feel bad then. But, you know, it's probably up to two hours, one hour and a half is dedicated just to that for the sake of the show. You know, That's amazing. 
Good for you guys. Uh, we have in the past, my first Canadian tour back in 2008 with, with Cryptopsy, uh, we had mm-hmm. Bored Anonymous's trailer, which is, I guess we rented it for them and or Bored, I don't remember. And we brought so many weights because Flo was like, Flo is still really into working out, but back then he was at like a pinnacle workout, like super into it. And we had packed the trailer wrong and had put all these weights not on the axle, which is where they need to go because it's where you put the heaviest stuff in a trailer that we should have known. And we literally <laughs> tore on. their trailer apart like a can opener. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Anonymous. And we left, it in, th- we left it in Thunder Bay and it <laughs> lives there now. But uh, <laughs> too many weights on tour <laughs> that we didn't use very much. You guys seem to be a bit more <laughs> into the system, into the ritual. The routine. That's the trick is to schedule it. It was also, but it was a learning curve how to, how to have it make sense. How, um, what can you do on the road? Because mm-hmm. you can do no matter you know, unless you're Bono and have the top penthouse suite and then have people build a gym in the in the connecting penthouse suite. You know, if you don't get to do it like that, you will never have everything. And I know for me, it was a challenge to find, like I got into picking something heavy up and putting it back down eight times in a row and all, all of that at home. And then you couldn't do it on the road. So then you switch to more uh, interval, cardio training, blah, blah, or body weight and stuff. Elastic. And then kind of feeling, yeah. And then kind of feeling that you lost out you missed out on what you had planned while you were at home and bouncing back and forth now i feel there's a good balance and it starts to make sense but yeah you you i'm you can surely bring too much but i guess oh yeah that was what i was getting to the, the trick is to i really plan it out beforehand you know really i have i guess now my current schedule is eight days planned you know in a row with what I'm supposed to busy, do. Busy, busy ass day, but it keeps, you know, idle hands. I can just imagine like my days are busy on tour. I can imagine what yours are. If, if you, you have that regiment on top of the sound check, on top of load and on top of just meet and greets, VIPs, I imagine you're doing too. We, no, we don't actually. Um, we might change our minds, but it's just one of those things where we, I always struggled to, you, I know we leave a lot of money on the table for it. And also that more importantly, maybe that a lot of people want it and would generally like it. And I think we as people, we still kind of struggle with making sure that we feel they get their money's worth. Because clearly, if you yeah. look at, yeah. if you clearly look what's out there in the world and what people get with these VIP packages and stuff and how many are returning customers, if you will. That's that's super insightful. Yeah. Then it's objectively true that people get something out of it. But for me to feel the same thing, you know, like, oh, this was now I did X amount of dollars of gave X amount of dollars of joy back to this person <laughs> who's paying for this. I mean, the concerts make sense there. You can give you your all in a stuff. Absolutely. And also a bit selfish. Speaking of how you spend your time in the day. I mean, at the very least. Um, for a meet and greet of any sorts like that, you know, that people pay for, it's fair to, it's fair of them to, ex- to expect that we should be dressed up. Yeah. But totally. I, oh, yeah. I already, I already get ready now. Two hours before the show, my pre-show routine gets rolling. Right. 
And if you want to do it before doors, when you have a headline set, that's do I want to walk around like that hours, for five yeah. hours? Yeah. Exactly. And, no, yeah, yeah, no, I get it, yeah. And then also because if I start the day with picking up those weights and weights and trying to touch my toes and all of that, then you have those hours in between. For instance, you know, now on this last tour, right before the tour, I rewatched uh, the first Exorcist film. And and when they talk and blah, 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 going into Washington, he's driving out from Washington. Washington, wait a minute, Google, Google. Oh, it's 20 minutes from the venue. The house is 20. Okay, I'm, you know. So, so me and Tim, our guitar player, and John, our driver, the bus driver, went and checked out the location of the stairs in that house. And yeah, and, and if you always have a meet and greet, you might miss out on those opportunities. Or you do it after. So that means maybe we do it after the shows. But then if we have done the show right, like D. Snyder said at some point, I guess this whole thing about, I think he never really partied after shows. And his reasoning was, if I have anything left in me that can make it to the party, I've cheated the audience out of something. That's great too. Yeah. In a similar mind space with it, where uh, I'm sure we could, but like, Hey, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with multiple factors of what you said. Uh, a lot of people are making a killing doing it. And I imagine like there's that return customer thing. As you said mm. that, I bet bands, once you do a certain number on tour, it ends up becoming this baseline in our future mm. tour planning mentalities. And I wonder how they can keep it up to that if it wasn't worthwhile, that meet and creep. Yeah, then we are always talking about this and reevaluating it and and stuff. Um, so who knows in the future? I was way more strict in these thoughts before. Mm -hmm. What is really interesting, and if people listening don't know this, is that the VIPs are not organized by the promoters. They're organized by the bands themselves, which is why a lot of the mm -hmm. times there's no ticket involved in the VIP, which is something that's crazy mm -hmm. too. Oh, I never thought about that. But yeah, <laughs> that is a separate, well, usually people tend to go to the show as well, I guess. Exactly, so. exactly. It's like an, uh, they upgrade themselves. Uh, classic Vox and Hops question here is, I'd love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up, your parents or guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? And I hear that um, a big, your brother was a big part of your, your early musical landscape um yeah for metal and stuff exactly so so take take me back even before that like what your parents listened to what your guardians listened to um what, what was playing when you were not in control with the radio a lot of classical music first and foremost i would say uh, from both of my parents and then my dad is born in 1949 and he you know perfect age for the beatles oh yeah and and it led to me, oh, I kind of did take control of the stereo early on, because both with the classical music, because I was into music early on, and I got piano lessons when I was four or five. Mm -hmm. I do not play like one of those people, oh, he started when he was four. No. But I started piano lessons when I was four, and until I was nine. So It's good. It's the musical knowledge of the piano. You don't have to be a virtuoso, but understanding the landscape of where notes are is, is an excellent, yeah. excellent framework. And a lot of parents and young people with children always, we push people, start with piano, start with piano, because all the notes make sense. Yeah, yeah, it's so useful for, it keeps coming up all the time. And now I play a little bit in our shows and stuff. But I mean, my playing level is roughly around an average 10-year-old <laughs> if they started at four. If they just keep going, yeah. Um, yeah, so 
Make it look good, though. Oh. That, that's <laughs> yeah. That's it. and that's all that really matters. <laughs> Fuck it, we can track it. I was going to say it, but you did. <laughs> we don't. I'd rather play and sing poorly and have it be actually in the moment. Hell yeah, than tracking. Let's see what we think when we're in our seventies if we keep going. But as for now, I'd rather yeah. No, but as I always, whatever music was being played, I kind of got into. So I would, you know play pretend that i was a conductor when i was you know four or five years old and at some point there was something about beatles on tv i the way i remember it i was probably eight years old and i was impressed and dad saw that and put up some put on some of his vinyls and around the time then starting to update his collection with cds and every time he came home with a new one hey look i got another beatles you know and it kind of became my album you know my cds awesome um, awesome framework there too yeah i got into the beatles way too late in my life i don't know why well how old are your parents because you're clearly too young to be there at the 60, time 60 so 70 at this point so yeah okay so they could have been well yeah. they're just a tiny bit too young maybe maybe yeah my dad was more into the the heavier rock than then yeah 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 so if he's 70 now so he's yeah he's born in 50 something mm -hmm. so his teenage years was already it was more psychedelic and hard rock and exactly whatever. yeah yeah it makes sense. I, iron butterfly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, so so then I was kind of on a roll. So a lot of 60s stuff, and I keep coming back to 60s stuff all the time as some kind of ideal that uh, for what we are doing, you know, unless we really flirt with it that we do on some songs that were, when you realize that the kind of tremolo riffing of death and black metal and surf rock that that the wall between them is paper thin in a way we have played around with that a, a couple of times but otherwise it's not blatantly 60s inspired but the whole ideals of oh musicians in a room playing music together and make it sound like that and and that whole thing uh comes a lot from 60s ideals for me so that sticks around as far as the heavy stuff goes yeah like a friend, same age as I, but slightly younger parents. Uh, he was kind of spoon-fed Black Sabbath and Kiss and whatnot. And so I got a lot there. So I, so part of me started my journey into heavy music chronologically as if I was there at the time. It went very natural from Sabbath, Purple, to the Thrash, to the Black, to the Death. Kind of the timeline in my life that those nine, eight, nine months where I did the trip kind of was fast forwarding the actual history of metal, I think. Um, and then from my brother's room, mainly, yeah, like power metal, Blank mm -hmm. Guardian and Halloween. All the German greats there. Yeah, all the German greats um, and way more bands at the time, but those two still stay with me the most. And I would say the same for him. And then, you know, that led to Dimi Borgir and, and whatnot. And then, I'm, you know, you make some friends in, I don't know, equal, equivalent of junior high, I guess. I don't know the Canadian system, but in, in Hög, Stadiet, we, um, then you had, you know, there was a black metal friend and a death metal friend. And uh, I got to borrow a stack of 10 CDs of each guy. So same cool. week, probably. So different back then. Yeah. yeah, and it was a good crash course. And as for death metal was, you know, that guy's favorite albums at the time. So Non So Vile was there. Um, um, 
Carcass was there. I don't remember which. A couple of their albums. Uh, yeah, a couple of them. Necroticism, which I now I started on. Uh, Heartwork. And I think because he knew I, I kind of, first time he met me, I had a Megadeth shirt on. So I think, I don't think, I, I think he, he thought Swan Song was okay, but he knew I would like it even more. Um, so that was there. Immolations, Closer World Below, Failure for Gods. Then Pale, Dead Shall Dead Remain. <laughs> See, I still remember, I can probably, if I think, it's, okay, Gorgats Obscura, and I said Non Survival, and there's, okay, there are a couple more that I don't remember. <laughs> and with the Black Metal stack, it was, you know, Dark Throne and uh, Dissection and, uh, you know, your usual suspects of the, mostly those second wave Scandinavian. Early introduction, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then... As, you know, it was a Bathory album, but the rest was the, you know, mid-90s stuff. So, you know, and then I was kind of off to the races and had this weird potpourri of still loved Germans with mullets killing dragons <laughs> and, and all of that. The Beatles. Still, Black yeah, Sabbath. still highly idealized. And yeah, exactly. And so all of that kind of going on at once. At the same time, I was, so I got piano lessons between age four or five until I think... Until I'm nine. Then you fell into the uh, trombone. To get away my siblings. Yeah, exactly. Well, the the, the piano teacher, because she ca came home and kids from the neighborhood, it was, you know, a bunch of parents organized it kind of privately when we were little. Then in Sweden, when you are starting third grade, you get heavily subsidized music lessons yeah. if you want, where you even get to borrow the instrument an instrument for free the first year and then it's not expensive to buy it the year after either oh, that's fantastic. And, you, know, you know in this socialist hellhole of a welfare state where kids get to explore art for almost no cost and jam you rooms know. i've spoken to a bunch of swedes there so so I, I know that you guys have like jam rooms that that you guys can go and use and there's gear there too just unbelievable yeah, like it, it was never, it never felt far off, far mm -hmm. away to get to do this. And in that, when we got to go one evening and try all those different instruments, more traditional, yeah, I got, I could make, uh, I was nine years old and I made the trombone. It sounded like a car, you know? The, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I'm in. So, and that, I kind of kept that going parallel with picking up the guitar and, uh, and learning power chords and uh, getting an electric guitar and that whole, journey of my own the trombone kept happening until i graduated high school uh with lessons and i was in a in that music school's big band you know playing in the mood and and satin doll and those kind of things a bit so because it was so early for me there was no big ah oh, music is my life thing because it was more like oh now when i look at it i guess it's kind of my life i guess it was always that distraction that kept you away from doing the other jobs, yeah, but but exactly. And at the same time, it was also homework. It was kind of everything. <laughs> some kind of music filled up every space. It was also like a friend who had a good computer early on had this MIDI sequencing program. I guess we'll call it MIDI session. I don't remember who did it, but you wrote in actual notes. It was like sheet music which I could read already when we became friends eight years old, I could read music because of the piano and stuff. So we, as playtime, you know, in between, I don't know, making drawings of pirates, throwing rocks at each other or <laughs> playing with your GI Joes, another game we would play was to compose. That's awesome. You know? So 
I mean, all this tells me that I should be better at it by now, <laughs> or, or at least, or be paid more, or something. I'm ever so but humble, always, I like it. <laughs> but it was in in was some shape or or another. It was always around and was always primarily on both recreational and something explored in my own time, and then something mom will remind you did you practice today and like shut up <laughs> okay you know so it, it it was everywhere i think that's that's awesome and sweden's got you know everyone's got it's it's ups and downs and positives and faults but supporting young children with music is something that every country should do and i say that every time i talk to a swede so i i truly yeah, believe in that mu- music and sports yes is not a huge class issue in Sweden mm-hmm. of course it's I guess it's more affordable to play football and I mean I'm European football yes, yes. Uh, I make than, the same decision uh, with my than children ice, yes. than ice hockey or exactly. horseback riding and yes. everything but something was always there you know mm-hmm. the opportunity for it yeah yeah so so that that's good I didn't partake in the sports part so much. Though. I my son is really into sports, and I don't know where he got it from. It's not from me. Talk to me about <laughs> discovering your voice. I read saw an interview that uh, you fell into becoming the vocalist of the band because all the other positions were filled. Uh, yeah. You were intimidated by writing lyrics, but then all along you sort of felt like this is what you wanted to do, anyways. Um, something that I thought about as you doing the trombone, and I was talking to Ollie from Archspire, and I, he wasn't playing the trombone, but he was playing the trumpet or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember. But voice control and airflow control and how that benefited you becoming a vocalist afterwards is what I'm interested in. Yeah, I I came to realize, because I have, on our album, Hail the Apocalypse, there's a song, Puppet Show, where I do play a trombone solo. Of course, that's awesome. And I mean... It, uh, I mean, I, now I play like someone who quit right after high school, <laughs> but it's still enough to do once and it's fun. And uh, we play it live on occasion, which means the trombone comes out, comes out on the road. And I did discover if, I, if and when I take the time to sit sit and, you know, pl- play a bit on it, on a thing nowadays, singing is so much easier afterwards. It's just the best warm up in the world. Because, you know, it's one of those things, right? To control your airflow. It's mm-hmm. it's the be-all, end-all of any kind of singing at the end of the day. Totally. You know, yeah. there are those things you a, a singer can do. Like, you can have a candle burning, you know, just a couple of inches away from your mouth. And if they sing well, and if the flame doesn't move, you know, you're in control. And one of the things we do is this S sound is Mm. pushing the diaphragm mm-hmm. and then when it likes are completely empty we relax and let the air come in automatically without us sucking it in all these exercises and i mean playing a trombone is yeah uh, restricting you know, the airflow right away yeah. exactly and controlling it and creating already there notes like it's because it's not in of course you got your positions where the things are but you still have to play the right note with your lips as well to make it sound good. It oh, doesn't happen automatically. I've never played the trombone. Itself. That's interesting. Okay. Um, the, uh, so, so there's this, you know, they they work together. The synergy. The synergy was the word that... Yes, yeah. very good. Thank you. Um, so absolutely, that helps a lot. And then I think one thing that I think, good or bad, I am a loud singer. And... I think probably that has something to do that I got into so much of the me because this, you know, 
trombone is an acoustic instrument you play in in a concert hall of some sort, you know, and it's the room. You don't, the microphone is not part of the instrument, even if you're recording, not in the way that where any kind of rock, metal, pop vocals are, you know, genres that evolve alongside recording techniques. They record the sound yeah. of the instrument in the room. And with this also, most of my learning, the start of learning to sing, this music school, while playing the trombone, I also at some point pick it up and start to take a little bit of piano lessons again. And, uh, you know, there were some other, th got to do a bunch of things through the years. I was there, you know, grew up probably taking lessons and whatnot for nine or 10 years there. And another thing I, I joined, I was in the choir, you know, and that also is something that you don't do close to microphone no. and all this. You, you got, you got I explore, I, my first getting to know my voice is, you know, singing the bass part of Hallelujah. Pause. Um, <laughs> Wait for someone else to sing. And yeah, three, no. two, one. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, so I think, so my fundamentals before I then, okay, so I love all this heavy music and I was the first kid on the street that could say, oh, that hurts, but a sound came out. Okay, I... I passed the audition. <laughs> um, He's the uh, one that could still sort of talk after. Yeah. So, exactly. So all this exploring, I, I kind of did it backwards, words as far as then what kind of stuff we are doing, mm -hmm. where I went from, first and foremost, playing other instruments to then being really loud and brutal and stuff. Uh, but being, and then now I'm in the middle of trying to get better at singing in my natural lower range gently yeah. you know mm -hmm. uh, so and usually i guess people all like to sing la 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 okay that was cool can and now how do i do yeah. but i was doing that for <laughs> growing up and yeah, then yeah. wait a minute la 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 oh shit this feels good this is <laughs> This is natural. Yeah, but also, <laughs> but I feel like it's, I'm better at keeping my pitch when I'm forceful, for instance, mm. you know, when I'm pushing the rage, belting it out, uh, pretend that I'm Rob Halford. Yeah. I believe myself to stay in pitch better than when you, you know, try to be, I don't know, Paul Simon. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's something to do with like the airflow pushing that's certainly part of it and hitting and it just sits in that spot better than yeah. when you are singing lower the air there's a way obviously there's a way to do it there but like the airflow is less so you're you waver maybe in and out of the pitch more so than if you were just attacking the note i guess it's simply yeah it's just more room for error i guess mm -hmm. and then also more i mean nowadays i sure definitely better at you know exploring the finer nuances of the wild stuff of course you know and, but there's still millimeter by millimeter in the gentler things how much how nasal not nasal how deep yeah, how wide exactly. that tone can be and all that where i feel like you turn to a different person between the takes and i and it's like an identity crisis <laughs> like now as i'm sitting here i'm writing yeah. songs and it's one of the things i worked on today is definitely gentler Mm. And then I kind of, between the takes as I'm, you know, doing lyrics and melody and just, I'm just, it's so early in whatever the next album will be. This is, 
is a sandbox right now. Totally. So every take is so completely different. And and there's a lot of listening back now, like, who's that guy? Yeah. Is that interesting that you could play with hypothetically with like lyrical concepts that you can hypothetically be different people? Is that something that you'd be open to? Sure. I, it happens on occasion. And uh, I mean, of course, we also we too had to write at least one serial killer song on our first album because we grew up listening to Cryptopsy <laughs> and The Haunted. And Hell yes. I do love The Haunted. I, I wanted to bring that up, by the way. I, I, I've, I've always loved them. Yeah. yeah, they are probably collectively for the band. I mean, if I boil it down to what keeps coming up every time I write a song, I will think about Black Sabbath at least once. I will think about The Beatles at least once. Um, and uh, they set the fundamental, no matter what it sounds like, they set the fundamental ideals for me. Um, you know, if you do, oh, there's a guitar in this band, so we should have some cool riffs first. Sabbath. And then, <laughs> yeah, you know, and... And once you have that, you're kind of free to explore what this song can become, you mm -hmm. know, what makes sense. And uh, also with Black Sabbath comes the importance of the rhythm section and the full-fledged composition of it. But it's all in worship of the riff and that drives the song. And that's heavy metal, pure and simple. And then every, you know, whatever branch of that we feel that we are in, in with our respective bands. And you never get around that, or at least I don't want to uh, that is those are my core ideals and with the beatles it's that i don't know in service of the song i guess and also what a, when you look at the beatles history for the, the brief time compared to how long Many bands exist and yeah. operate nowadays they always they learned a new trick and couldn't wait to try to make a song with it you know, oh, this picking technique, oh, that's their prudence because someone showed something in India and then John wanted to write a song with it. And, oh, we have eight channels now. Oh, we can tape loop now. Or, oh, like, okay. or, and what is, oh, a sitar, yeah, George want to do? Okay, Norwegian would. Like, it was always this, learn something new every time and have that be a driving force of inspiration in and out of itself. Uh, so this is a long roundabout to say, but collectively for the band, when it comes to play heavy music and stuff, we did cover both uh, Phobophile and Slit Your Guts, actually. Uh, but what we spent the most time doing, I think, individually, was trying to figure out what The Haunted did. Because we, I guess we really like... It was... it's the, That type of riffing that they did, that then you find, of course, was rooted at the gates. Like 100%. Young yeah. enough. Yeah. Young enough to miss that train and then Same. oh I love the haunted. Yeah. Oh what what work band when they're in? Oh cool. Oh cool. Same. You know? I did I did exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if the haunted was the first time I think we encountered for real that kind of extreme metal riffing that is that melodic, you know, the root notes and lead melody on one guitar. And working like that, which makes it very playful and so you get so much out of one instrument. And there's and of course, now we took took a thousand steps away from that a lot of the time, just because we looking for our own thing. But that fundamental of playing, and a lot of downstrokes, and that it actually is muscle work to play your instrument, oh, yeah. and and that went for all of us. You know, Marco Auto was one of those. How does he do it? Can I do it like this? And then Peter Dolvin came back, and oh, those transitions from the clean to the heavy and everything. Uh, 
so both those guys and the way their shows were and John as a drummer, you know, as a teen, there was that period of his life where he didn't go outside that whole summer because he practiced drums, I think, for a few weeks there at least. It was 16 hours in a day, you know, that wow. obsessed teenager. Good. That's where it comes um, from. There's no secret, people. You got to put the work in. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and one of the things he would do was play through Lyrones in Tokyo Mm -hmm. uh, over that. and over again. Yeah, so it really became part of the band's DNA, The Hunt. Love them. And Peter Dalving, I got a weak spot for him still. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, 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 very much so. Hey, what's up, Fox and Hops heads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Something cool that happened between you and I is that I released a new album this past year in 2023, and I did a bunch of interviews. And you know how this is. You get stacked of interviews that come from a publicist, and there's these time frames, and you sit down. And sometimes you do two, three, four in a row. And one morning, I'm sitting here, not here, but here, and I'm sitting there with you. And your face said something to me, and I Googled your name as we were talking, and I was like, holy shit, I know who you are. <laughs> so talk to me about that, the metal break, being a part of a podcast. Why did you jump into a podcast? What is it about podcasting for you that got you into it? Uh, let's start with that. Well, it's definitely something that I don't know when it started, but it's definitely, podcast is definitely something I enjoy recreationally. Um, so that's first. My wife is a music journalist. She's, she has a lot of hats, but one hat she wore for a very, very long time was, you know, she was writing for, uh, she's Italian. So her main stuff was in this magazine called uh, Metal Maniac. And then for a while, uh, also she was at an Italian Metal Hammer and a bunch of other publications. But those were the big two printed one that she spent a lot of time in, especially Metal Maniac. That was huge at the time she was there so she has that background and uh, i have my background in um, this <laughs> and then we both were kind of full of ourselves enough to when we would sit and have when we would sit and talk metal you know that we we think that thing that everybody else starting podcast is wow this is a good conversation you know what the world needs to hear this <laughs> and uh, then it's something we've been you know, playtime between me and my wife, really. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's a side gig for both of us. Something we really do for fun. Because mm -hmm, podcasting is, is not what everyone thinks it is. But <laughs> No, but I mean, it's just also because, again, she is a doctoral student at this 
point, uh, you know, reaching, we starting to see the finish line of her uh, finalizing her PhD, getting those well-deserved three letters. Hell yes. And, uh, and I keep releasing albums and touring them. So, uh, I mean, we're both workaholics. And uh, as we always both been kind of digging deep into turning what we love doing into work or working with, you know, however you want to put it, was kind of natural to, hey, this was fun. Let's turn this into something together, you know. So metal break, take a break, talk metal was kind of the beginning of it. And the format has varied and keeps on varying. But ultimately, she and I talking and sometimes we interview people. And ideally, uh, my favorite stuff is always when we get to touch on subjects in the ground. You know, it's based in metal, but touch on culture or the world in a, in, in a greater scheme, you know, um, if we get to talk with bands from the global south or we get to i don't know we just put out an episode where really uh well because we do movie watch alongs with our patrons right and we try to pick films that are somehow relevant to the subculture one way or another you know of course we watch spinal tap for instance or we just had a the big rewatch of some kind of monster the other day (laughs) you know and uh and then there was lords of chaos and then what was the one called on netflix lords of metal or something something like, like that. a teenage yeah. Yeah. Co- teenage comedy drama that and yeah. we watched that with our patreons and it's like and also thinking wow this was way better than it had any right to have oh to i be. enjoyed that movie yeah that was great yeah, yeah i really like it's like it hit all this the right is actually by people yeah that it's is it wasn't made by tourists no. so to speak no, no i understand some, yeah no need for gatekeeping on it. So I thought very endearing. So we do those kind of things. And in that context, for instance, we had this last episode that came out was us picking apart that the fact that they're making a, a rebooting the crow. Uh, yeah. Know, as far as yeah. alternative, uh, the alternative nineties that, you know, to some extent at least touches on, it was a dark comic book based violent movie at the time with a lot of bands with long hair on the soundtrack. So it fits and especially Paki, my wife, grew up really loving that mm-hmm. film. So then we had a deep discussion about that and what that means. And that that's, uh, gives us a chance to talk Hollywood and uh, Bill Skarsgård. We like the guy. But then we realized, hmm, he's kind of the reboot king because he was Pennywise as well. And True. Stuff. Yeah. But he's cool enough and dark enough that he kind of needs his Edward Scissorhands of his own or something. At this point, yeah, something, that, be- no, something yeah. that belongs to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um so those kind of topics um, mix high and low, and sometimes we talk to bands, sometimes we talk to you, you know, and that, which is also one of the to kind of get to use the back door of not just that we do a podcast, but you know, it, it might be one of the only times in my life where I truly go, you know, who I am, to get <laughs> you know, to get either it. friends or people we are really, really fans of mm-hmm. to then get to interview them. I do pull that card sometimes. Yeah. No, I'm the I'm the new singer. (laughs) Yeah. No, but it (laughs) but it's it's because it brings some kind of perspective there where because you know when I talk to well now you're talking to me but last time I was talking to you so to speak and uh, when I got to like yeah talk shop about this part Mm -hmm. you know it's deeper uh, that's why Vox and Hops works and it's why Metal Break works is that. 
we've done it. We've done hundreds of interviews, and we know what is a good conversation. Well, I think I do. Uh, what a good conversation is, how to structure a good conversation, and how to not ask those horrible questions that we get asked so many times. <laughs> How's the tour going so far? <laughs> can you, actually, in the beginning of some, uh, how's the tour going is our favorite go-to, which is to me a test before an interview. Mm-hmm. If I think it's okay to ask, it's like we talked briefly about the weather beco- before we hit record, right? Yeah, which is fine. It's a little, you know, a little. That's a little. Know, we're breaking the ice. We're talking. I'm making yeah, sure the internet yeah, it's connection kinda is kind of like stable. what color underwear are you wearing? Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. it, that's fine. So to, if you sit down with someone on tour, so how's the tour going? You know. It's okay to say before you hit record. Once, once the if conversation is going, if you that's got a it. real question. That's a shit question because I'm gonna. It's gonna be good, or if it's bad, I'm gonna lie about it. And then or you make whatever, me feel like shit. Know? Yeah. Because <laughs> if it's if it's bad for, if it's a multitude of reasons, attendance, if ticket sales are sick, disappointing. Yeah. It's it's well, I'm still here to sell tickets. I can't talk <laughs> that. And if it's bad for personal reasons, because I guess sometimes things happen. Again, we talk still about, can't talk about that. Well, having home life going while having away from home life going and all that. Mm -hmm. So you can't really, you know, you don't want to go too deep into that either. So it's, it's a crap question. But then I saw the beginning of some kind of monsters is super cut of all when they're doing press for, for the album and someone is Metallica, so-and-so many years, 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And everything you've done, highs and lows. How would you summarize it in one word? He can't possibly give a real answer to that. It's shit. There's no real answer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's what emotion comes when I summarize like that for you. What is that to you? The, the, so then you, that's but, a much more open question, word, though. That's much more yeah, open than that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but those gimmick questions are they never never work. They're lazy questions too. Is really what it is. It's 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 a lot of people. If anyone's listening, just just a really great trick that I've had over the years. If I'm sitting down with someone that I don't know as well that I should, because I dealt with publicists in the past with the podcast, uh, you watch other people's interviews with them, and then you elaborate upon stuff that that interviewer did not catch on to. There was there's always a way to ask a question and someone answers you, but there's a follow up that a lot of people don't take sometimes. Yeah, that I, which bothers me a lot when being interviewed, like when I feel like I lay out a, a little perfect play. Yeah. I, I not expect. <laughs> us to stay on this and you move on but then i have to realize that i do sometimes if i look too much at my piece of paper and like okay and next i'm gonna oh that was interesting but i was supposed to i've done that mistake as well to totally yeah grab on to follow-ups that especially if in a like let's say perfect examples when i interviewed george from cannibal corpse he is impossible to control and or keep on track because he will just talk about whatever he wants. And when you get hit up by a publicist, you sort of have to hit. Or I felt like at the time I had to hit the album because it's the purpose of the interview. But I know in reality it's a fallacy and I didn't have to hit the album. Uh, But at that point, there's like, oh, I'm missing stuff. I didn't hit stuff. And then it feels stressed as opposed to just enjoying the conversation. Yeah, no, totally that. But then I also... (laughs) I try to stay on the topic of what I'm being asked and and all of that. Except when the, if the interviews if the interview isn't good enough, I feel <laughs> they always in my in my in in the realm of my huge ego, I feel I turn 
can turn every bad interview good by simply asking the uh, answering the questions I wish they asked. Same. I, I'm I'm very hard to interview because I just take over the interview. Yeah, no, but, but only <laughs> you know, but but also because you know we end up doing a lot of press, and it's as with everything, you know, there are a lot of bands, a lot of good bands. In my personal opinion, the list of truly great bands, I mean, at this point, is still pretty long, but percentage-wise, it's really low, which is fine. And not every painting is as amazing as Van Gogh or Monet or whatever. And and a lot of people interview other people, and not everyone can be, who should we pull out of the hat? That it, uh, Sam Dunn, let's say. Sure, why not? <laughs> but, you know, there, there are some that are, you know, truly have made a career out of that for a reason, and underground stage of, of things that get to talk to that go to travel to the Middle East and talk to Yasser Arafat at the time or whatever you know those kind of the yes and 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 I'm not that person either I'm obviously. not that person no <laughs> but a lot of people are simply not very good at it and then, as long as they're having fun and you know they, yeah. don't, they don't ask us how the tour is going in the future then then we'll forgive them uh, I have two quotes here that I pulled out from another interview funny enough is um, mm-hmm. you you liked a bunch of singers that you couldn't sound like when you were hunting yeah. your voice yeah. oh yeah still do <laughs> like I'm a pretty deep baritone in the choir again I did yeah hallelujah but yet oh, here you're belting like Rob Halford half the time yeah yeah exactly and and I always I, I had a knack for falsetto stuff and when I took singing lesson because the music school led into so in Sweden I have gymnasium it's roughly like a high school and do you but does Canada basically kind of do like the U.S. with high school, junior high and stuff? Or similar? Um, it or depends like where we're at. Like my high school friends. was, we did five years just in one school, was my high school. Mm. And we finished in grade 11, from 7 to 11. And then we go off to CGIP for two years before going to university. Uh, okay, That's so those three years yeah. is kind of our gymnasium, I would say. Like okay. we, if you do go all the way before higher studies is 12 years, right? First to third grade is one level, then fourth to sixth, then seventh to ninth, and then comes gymnasium. And gymnasium, you get to, based on your grades, what you are able to do, you get to pick your program, which is at the time was like half of everything then you learn in school, every Swedish kid would learn. Your basic math, your basic history, your basic, you know. And the rest is more specialized. Yeah, and the other half is what defines these different programs. We can be focused more science-based or more uh, aesthetic, for instance, the different aesthetics programs. And I went to music aesthetics. So half the classes were related to music. That's so cool. Music theory, instrument choirs, and, and blah, blah. And uh, why was we talking? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> those singing lessons, I discovered I had a knack for getting a decent tone with falsetto also but yeah but uh, so i have this fairly deep voice i have started to growl and i still call everything growl i might be frying uh and doing all kinds of things i was listening I, earlier today and i would i would assume you're frying would be my assumption yeah, from what i, I heard so. today but you know it's the whole i learned that it's you know the what do you call it in english the the false vocal cords is mm-hmm. that what's called mm-hmm and they vibrate more irregular and therefore we get a noise ra- per definition rather than a tone a distortion but then yeah, you yeah. can do things yeah exactly and uh, and that whole thing and beyond that i don't really know especially not now when i do it so much it's amazing it's just so natural to uh, to you and 
And, and, well, and at the, at the, the end of the day, hurt like hell, <laughs> it takes time. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, as long as we can pull it off, it doesn't matter if we know what it is. It's it's you know YouTubers and all these tutorial people are what are making the importance of of the labeling of everything because it's such an unknown. You can't see what's going on in there. But I mean, it also comes with. I mean, so I think you got a handful of years on me, but not too many. I'm not sure. How old are you? I am 40 years old this year. Oh, yeah. So you're three years older than I am. So we're roughly still same generation. Totally. Your memories of the first episodes of Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles. Totally. I literally, literally remember. I was talking to my my parents about that yeah. the other day. I remember what chair I was sitting on, <laughs> yeah, where exactly. the chair was located. Totally. So my turtles' memories are slightly blurrier, but they are there. So we <laughs> basically consumed similar things, which means also that we weren't part of the real pioneer era of no, extreme vocals. Totally not. And for instance, we got to tour with with uh, Obituary many many years ago. Um, Tardy, he's oh, the yeah. best. He's so nice. But it, yeah, uh, but it's also that kind of how to when you talk to guys from that generation of. So how did you even, you know, and they were like, oh, we got high and listened to Hellheimer. And then <laughs> I couldn't say, ah, so I said, rah, and people thought it was cool. And what are you doing? Well, I do, rah, and that, okay, never mind. That's you it, know, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's true, a lot of them Yeah, don't know. and then I think our generation became slightly more <laughs> academic, if you will, about it. And now people, the information is accessible in a different way because social media, because YouTube and everything. And... Uh, forums and what there's more of it than ever mm -hmm. so it makes sense that that trip happens what i find super super interesting about right now and extreme voice vocals is we're in the generation that we're going to find out how long the human body can actually do this oh yeah you know what i mean like how many more years can we physically do what we're doing is there a plateau hypothetically not but we don't know is there a damage that we're not seeing and we'll find out when we're 75, 80 years old after been doing this for 50 years, let's say. But, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I just, when I think about the different things I do vocally, to go, it doesn't, it's not the thing that put the most strain on my voice at all, you know? Um, and now I think about how great Rob Halford has, is totally. still sounding on the exactly. albums yeah. and, Canada, and you stuff. Know, George, same thing. But for that matter, yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, the old guard of the death metal world are still doing fine. Exactly. And, and I'm thinking, I saw, speaking of seeing things about singing on YouTube, someone put together a long, deep cut analysis about the changes of Michael Jackson's voice throughout his career. And uh, just the strain... Because he, well, no comparison between us in any other way in our skills as singers. But it seems like if you look through his career, that he was also very often chasing that certain sound you get when you are at your peak of your ability. Pushing, yeah. So his highest notes are way higher than mine ever will be. But it's just certain, there's something to the sound you get when you push whatever boundaries you have. And... Uh, he always did a lot of that, but then just that top note went lower and lower throughout his career. And then mid to late 90s, his concerts were fully backtracked. And when you hear what his, sound, what his voice sounded like while performing, then it's complete, completely shot while he's touring, you know? And, uh, you know, the damage he did rather than getting older. And yeah, our voices tend to get deeper over sure. time. But that aside, in his case... The fact that he was making a lot of people who didn't 
uh, really care for his well-being, a lot of money while he hit puberty, which is a time where you shouldn't probably, you know, when those months when your voice really changes or that year or whatever, you shouldn't go, yeah, baby, you know, and he did. And, uh, you know, it's a whole trip you can follow there, right? Where it makes me think that death metal, especially now, again, when we learned so much collectively, is probably not the thing that breaks a voice the most. Hmm. That is true. And I, I interviewed uh, Enrico from Hideous Divinity, and he is a ear, nose, and throat doctor. And mm-hmm. he tends to treat uh, pop stars, um, opera singers way more than any extreme vocalists. Just because yeah, of the, the, the wear and tear of belting. Belting's probably the hardest thing. Yeah. A day-to-day belting on tour is, is intense. Yeah, because now... For shits and giggles, part of my practice routine as of today, um, for New Year's Eve, I downloaded and, you know, started subscribing so we could uh, karaoke. Nice. And uh, and I had still had the subscription running. I saw this morning, oh, yeah, I should cancel that. I just need for the part. And then like, ah, you know what? <laughs> so I just, I did want the loneliest karaoke part in here for like half an hour after, <laughs> it's a great up, vocal after I started to work on our stuff. Yeah, and also find a way to experiment and try, you know, try on a couple of different pants, so to speak. That's true. But with that, again, I go to uh, speak of Michael Jackson. Yeah, first half of Man in the Mirror. I, I, you know, I have to belt a lot to stick with it. And it sounds, quote unquote, good until suddenly it doesn't, you know, that that tank gets empty quicker. <laughs> it's interesting. But I could be there. in here. I could be in here and... Uh, sing along to my favorite death metal tunes, you know, for, for hours on end, probably. Hell yes. Keep it going. I love it, Johannes. One last question. I typically wrap up with a hangover cure, but that does not fit the bill here anymore. Well, uh, I have had hangovers in my life. <laughs> and the best thing, well, the best trick I ever had was to be 21 years old. That is a magic I, trick. I, rec- yes. I recommend it. All 21 years old people. <laughs> it's true. And, and once you get deeper into touring, have a crew do more of the work. And that's but also that is very a double-edged good. sword because, yeah. again, being 2021 20, and going on our first couple of real tours and, of course, partying through the night and waking up feeling completely, why did I do that? Why did I do all of that? We go, I can't sing tonight. I'm fucked. But the fact that we were forced to carry our own gear and break that sweat... Mm-hmm. And then hydrate and then get back into it and then do that little sound check that felt rough, but then you're through it and then you're kind of ready for the night again. It worked every time for as long as I did it, at least. Still and then, I don't know. And I live in <laughs> Finland, which is, you know, the home wor- the homeland of the sauna. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, subscribe to that completely. There's something, yeah, you need to hydrate. I've, I've again. heard that, yeah. But something about. I don't know if there is science to it, except that it feels really good. But something about forcing fluids on and then getting fresh fluid in, just speeding up what the body does, I guess, you know, helping it with that. That's something. Sweat and then compensate for that. Hell yes. Forcing the body to do good stuff, even when when it feels wrong. And then if you, I think the real science on that is that you know, you're not supposed to hit the gym or go for a long run when you're hungover. It's really bad for your heart, but it feels so good afterwards. So it's, you know, 
I mean, drinking is bad for you as well. So you might as well, right? <laughs> Johannes, thank you so, so much for taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about life, talking about music, talking a lot about vocals. I love that. I haven't had a, a deep dive love into vocals shop. Uh, in a long time. I am stoked that we, we met like this. I'm stoked that we had that interview. I am uh, looking forward. Uh, last time you came through, I was on tour, so I did not come and see you. Uh, but I would love to meet you face to face one day. Massive, massive Likewise, thanks to you. Likewise, man. And I, re- I really hope for that i'm a bit worried now because when we talked about it last time this thing like yeah we're gonna be in montreal are we gonna be on the road that's with some bands you're just doomed to it's that cycle of missing each other yeah do stuff (laughs) at the same time and then there are some people you run into all the time everywhere you Mm -hmm. know uh and i i hope at some point one of us breaks our pattern enough for us to fall into a sink where we get to meet so you know where we are where one is off while the other is on and in that person's area or that we just bump into festivals or whatever. Yeah. I would love, love to that. meet you in person. Man. Massive cheers. Thank you so, so much. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome conversation. I am so stoked that when I opened up that Zoom meeting back in August when I was doing press for As Gamora Burns, that Johannes was the one interviewing me for the metal break. Uh, I put the link to that episode in the description of this podcast if you want to check out him interviewing me, the vice versa of this one. Uh, Johannes, you're awesome. I literally can't wait until we are face-to-face to have a conversation. You are insightful. You're intelligent and you're a damn good vocalist. Um, massively stoked that I had a chance to hang out with you. And if you have not checked out Johannes's band, Avatar, you should go check it out. He's just a killer vocalist and an awesome all-around human being, as you just heard. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You will get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will also get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works for the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, and you will also be updated on whatever I got going on with Cryptopsy. That's right. Cryptopsy, we just dropped our brand new album back in September of 2023, and we are doing a whole bunch of stuff. We are planning a massive 2024, starting with that European tour, uh, the Unquestionable Blasphemy Tour with Atheists that's coming up at the end of February. It's running all across Europe until the end of March. You also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' metal architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week with an amazing episode with Kelly Schaefer of Atheist. That one drops on Tuesday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.